have you here today, and uh, thanks for joining us wherever we have found you across the great province of Saskatchewan on this day. And it's a pretty good-looking uh, midweek point. Still some icy roads, uh, Highway 1 and vicinity in the south. Uh, a lot of ice and snow still a little bit over from that uh, storm that blew through and that ton of snow that dropped on Regina yesterday morning. So keep an eye out on Highway Hotline wherever you are. And yes, if you've just heard, I better tell you it's true. I made the announcement this morning, and this one was a long time coming. I've been thinking about it for a long time. And, of course, in a show like this, you got to do a lot of planning. I am stepping away. I'm not retiring necessarily. Uh, I'm still going to be here in the community. I'm still going to be practicing some law, active as always. But after 25 years and two months of this radio show, every morning, Friday the 24th of November, will be my final day and have a brand new host starting on Monday, November 27th. And tomorrow, right at 8.30 when the show starts, I will tell you who that new host will be. Well, this weekend, and for so many of us, as you look ahead at Remembrance Day, which is honored and commemorated every year so well by so many people in this province, Saturday and Remembrance Day, We often take the time to speak with those who help us remember our past, but also point us to some of the significant features, not just of the day itself, but every year, this being 2023, certain things we should remember. Uh, Andrew Birch is a historian at the Canadian War Museum. He's uh, also an adjunct uh, research professor at Carleton in Ottawa, and we find Andrew in the nation's capital today. Andrew, thanks so much for taking our call. My pleasure. Uh, tell me about what goes through your mind every year. As, a, as an academic who studies this, who, who writes extensively, is there an overarching memory for you every November 11th? Well, I'm very privileged that I, my study is in the, the post-1945 era, so uh, many of the veterans that I study uh, are, are still with us and active partners in telling these stories. So I always uh, remark on every year uh, just how people's attention comes to focus on stories that uh, people in my business live with every day. Um, you know, stories of sacrifice, stories of service, uh, not just in the world wars, but in many, many uh, operations uh, under the UN flag, NATO flag, and, and others that uh, Canadians have, have served and sadly some uh, did not return from. Is the day, um, in terms of the, the, the appropriate tribute for the fallen and the lost? The original uh, motive behind Remembrance Day was really for that purpose. Uh, it was a part, partly it was uh, to recognize the, the victory of the armistice in the First World War. That was uh, one of the original titles of the day, was Armistice Day. Uh, but it came to uh, take on a somber reflection because of, of course, the immense amount of lives and treasure that was expended to uh, achieve that victory in the First World War. And that that really did uh, carry on uh, through the Second World War and through to today. So, in part, it was a recognition of the victory, but a victory at a terrible, terrible cost. Uh, and yes, very much so, um, it is an opportunity to reflect on those who lost their lives in service, but also a chance to reflect on past events where Canadians have uh, undergone enormous risk. Uh, to carry out the tasks that were laid before them in in the name of uh, of achieving peace or in in providing security. 
And then even, of course, beyond the two world wars, then, of course, in modern times, Afghanistan, but even after the Second World War, the Korean armistice, of which we mark the 70th anniversary this year. That's correct. Yeah, this this uh, July, uh, July 27th, uh, 1953, uh, now 70 years on, 2023, uh, was the way in which the uh, the kind of steady uh, defensive lines were solidified and the fighting came to a stop in Korea after three hard years of fighting. Uh, Canadians were there for uh, for those three years and uh, at sea and in the land, uh, on land and, of course, uh, in air transport and in, in you know, fighter aircraft. Uh, and this was a, uh, a signature accomplishment that, you know, the Cold War was persisted and a lot of people ended up serving in Germany after that. But for that moment, it was a way of, of, uh, of, of managing to uh, uh, solidify and uh, and keep those lines static, and it was a way of preserving South Korean liberty, which was the whole purpose of the uh, of the exercise in the first place. And I had the great privilege of going to Korea this past um, this past uh, summer with veterans of the Korean War, uh, so people who had never been back to Korea in those seventy intervening years and uh, recognized nothing because the land that they left behind was devastated. The land that they revisited was thriving and uh, you know, vibrant, and they uh, they threw quite a party uh, to celebrate the service of all those uh, soldiers who flew who fought under the United Nations command. And a great deal of tribute. It was very moving oh, to see that uh, that that gratitude paid forward seventy years after the fact. That must have been uh, between you and me. Of course, it's only you and me talking. Nobody else. I'm a child of the Malayan emergency. Um, oh, I was born at the British Military Hospital in Malaya. And that was always a chapter, you know, in my life as the uh, the son of a, a dad in the British Army and the mum who was the Australian field nurse who they met and married in Malaya. And, of course, Korea, I always say, gets all the attention of the Malayan emergency. One has to dig a little deeper. A little bit, yeah. It's, it's a, uh, it's <laughs> a lot. <definitely> the... <laughs> yeah. Uh, absolutely, and you, I should remark that this uh, this anniversary uh, this year marked the 30th anniversary of the Battle of Medak Pocket uh, in September in, in Croatia, which was uh, oh, okay. you know we talk about Korea as the Forgotten War, and Medak is often referred to as the Forgotten Battle, where Canadians were in a 15-hour fight uh, firefight during you know ostensibly a peacekeeping mission and didn't really receive a lot of recognition for it until the 2002. So it's uh, there's, there's all manner of, of missions that you know we think of when we think of Remembrance Day, we often think of the First World War and Second World War. But I think a lot of people are probably thinking about it the way you just did, which is looking back to their own family history and saying, you know, how has my life been shaped by war? Uh, you know, where where in, has my family served? And we get a lot of questions around this time of year, very much, uh, and, and testimonies, very much like what you just said right here in terms of, you know, thinking back to your roots and how they that had a, a an element of that was rooted in conflict. Yeah, it's a great point. Dr. Andrew Birch is with us. Andrew is an historian at the Canadian War Museum, also adjunct prof at Carleton University. So as people in their own ways commemorate, uh, and of course, uh, Saskatoon has a famous, uh, one of Canada's largest indoor commemorations every year on Remembrance Day, uh, other ones, towns, small and large, and different facilities and institutions. Um, I guess the other takeaway, and as you've mentioned you know, often we used to think of Canadians as peacekeepers. And then, of course, Afghanistan for all of those years, war in its various forms uh, has been one of those things that has always been here. And perhaps we just don't give enough thought to those who have served. 
Yeah, I think that there's there's definitely been patterns. Uh, I know in, in Ottawa there was you know there's this kind of barometer is checking to see who is downtown and and at the cenotaph at the National War Memorial every year. Yeah. And there was a period there in the 1990s uh, when the attendance was falling and falling. And then of course after uh, the Afghanistan war began and. Um, the first Canadian uh, casualties uh, occurred in, in tragically in April of 2001. That uh, uh, 2002, I should say. That that uh, Remembrance Day was packed, and it has been consistently, uh, even through uh, through the emergency of COVID. You had people coming downtown because it was a very important thing. And I think the Afghanistan War reminded people of that. Certainly in in Ottawa, I'm certain that's the case in uh, in Saskatoon and elsewhere, where you have people. Um, it, it, it does a great deal to focus the mind, Remembrance Day, on yeah. the service of, of people who are serving. And we have people who are living reminders of that uh, who are in their prime. And many of the veterans who've carried that torch, many of them are now getting on. The Korean War veterans are you know, in their 80s. Uh, many of the Second World War veterans are in their 90s and, and, uh, and, and passing, uh, unfortunately, in, in great numbers. So it is an advantageous event to look at uh, who are the veterans of tomorrow, and what is what has their service been like, and how can we support them? Andrew, great chatting today. Thanks, and uh, keep up the great work at the Canadian War Museum. My absolute pleasure, John. Andrew Birch, a historian at the War Museum, also uh, adjunct prof at Carleton in the Department of History. I'm John Gormley. This is 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. John Gormley, we were just chatting with uh, Professor Birch from uh, Carleton University. Andrew Birch, also the uh, one of the many historians at the Canadian War Museum in Ottawa. You know, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier uh, in Ottawa, and it was added to our National War Memorial uh, back in 2000. And this is, as many Commonwealth countries, this is a symbolic, although there is... Uh, the remains of a real soldier, uh, and this goes back to a uh, series. This was a, a body taken from a grave in France to commemorate the 1,603 graves of unknown soldiers near Vimy Ridge. So it was randomly selected from the unmarked graves. The remains were then ferried to Canada. So this was done only in relatively recent times. Historian Moz Perkins writes about the first tomb of the unknown soldier. And I don't know if you've ever heard this story. It is compelling. November the 7th of, 20, of 1920, two years after the armistice, two years after the end of World War I, strictest secrecy, four British bodies are exhumed from temporary battlefield cemeteries at Ypres, Arras, the Essene, and the Somme. So one body taken from each of those unmarked graves. None of the soldiers who dug them up were told what they were doing and why. They were taken to a field ambulance, the bodies draped with the Union Jack, centuries were posted, and then Brigadier General Wyatt and a Colonel Gell selected one body randomly. Then the other three were reinterred back in those cemeteries. French honor guard stands by the cost, by the casket, the coffin, overnight, 
of the soldier who was selected. Morning of November the 8th, a specially designed coffin of oak from the grounds of Hampton Court and the unknown warrior's remains are put inside. On top, a crusader's sword, a shield, and the inscription, a British warrior who fell in the Great War, 1914-1918, for king and country. So then the 9th of November, the unknown warrior is taken by a horse-drawn carriage through France, tolling bells, bugle calls to the docks. There, saluted by the French field marshal, put on the HMS Vernon and ferried over to Dover. Covered in wreaths, surrounded by the French honor guard who accompany it to Dover. On arrival, a 19-gun salute, which is usually only reserved for field marshals, a special train then ferries these remains to Victoria Station in London. By now, it's the 10th of November. It overnights. The morning of November the 11th, the remains are taken to Westminster Abbey. And that was the beginning for Britain. The tomb of the unknown soldier for England commemorating the 518,000 combatants whose bodies were never identified. And the idea was, of course, the unknown warrior could well have been a lost father, husband, brother, or son. And Historian Moss Perkins writes, this is the reason we wear the poppies. It doesn't glorify war, but it reminds us with humility of the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice made, not just in that war on the battlefields of France and Belgium, but in every war or conflict where we ask young men to serve. So that's the history. Moss Perkins uh, passed, a friend of mine, Brent, passed that along, and I thought it was uh, a brilliant retelling that that's when it all began, two years after uh, the end of the First World War, commemorating a man no one was able to ever identify. I'm John Gormley. Thank you for being here today. This has been a really, really interesting day, and as always, a delight. And I thank so many of you. Uh, announcing today, I'm stepping away at the end of the month, Friday the 24th. Tomorrow at 8.30, shall we make a date to be here? I will tell you tomorrow who my successor is, right here where Saskatchewan comes to talk, on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.